we're talking today about resurrection. Yes. <laughs> uh, Karim did an excellent preach about resurrection that I uh, experienced a few months ago. And so if I nicked any of it, it was passive, but thank you. <laughs> um, the resurrection result. It was good. Um, now, so it's still Easter, guys. It's still Easter for another how many weeks? It's 50 days of Easter. I didn't really realize. So uh, you've got 50 days to eat all your chocolate if you haven't finished yet. Uh, tell my sister, Gemma, she needs to finish before that time is finished because she was always the one that would keep all the chocolate hidden away. And then just when you felt like you really needed something, she'd appear with it and be like, oh, where have you got that from? Nice little stash. Um, so, uh, yeah, get on with that. But... Um, Obviously, the whole point of life in the kingdom is that Jesus is alive. And we don't just celebrate that one week a year. You know, I know it's awesome that we do celebrate Easter. Um, and, you know, that's a time when we're posting stuff on Instagram and sharing our pictures of sunrises and, and all that kind of stuff is amazing. But if that's what the resurrection is for us, then, then we're really, really missing it. Like, actually, if it's just once a year, we sort of pop up with something. Like actually Jesus is alive today, every day. And he's bringing new life forth in us as individuals, as a community in the world. And um, it's amazing. And we get, to, we get to join in with that. And so uh, I, wanna, I wanna think about resurrection today. And I wanna think about um, what happens when we meet the resurrected Jesus. Because that's a privilege we have every single day, which is amazing. You know, that the same power that raised Christ from the grave lives in us. That the God who is making all things new is making us new. Is meeting us and changing us, bringing us into freedom, bringing us ever more into the people that we were called to be. And I want to do it by looking at John 20 and 21, uh, which is where we get some, some written down accounts of when the resurrected Jesus met the community of believers. So obviously um, that's happened for 2000 years and there's story after story of what goes on. But um, I thought it'd be really fun to look at, um, to look at that together. So um, we're gonna start in 21 and I'm gonna read out verses one to 14. So if you've got a Bible, uh, it's probably worth having it open because um, there'll be stuff on the screens, but also if it's just there for you to uh, look at, that'll probably be handy. But um, let's, let's go for it. Okay, so 21, starting at verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, so I'm reading from a different translation. I'll go to the one you've got. <laughs> Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, children, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. 
When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. So just to clarify, which I'm sure you all know, um, the crucifixion and the resurrection has happened at this point. So we are reading about Jesus who has risen from the grave, physically meeting his disciples. And it's um, for the first time in the Gospels, actually, the disciples are relating to Jesus in a much more similar way to the way that we relate to him. So obviously right the way up through the kind of three years together, Jesus is talking about what's going to happen and where he's going to go. But actually, it's only after he's died and, raised, and risen again that they get to sort of experience him in the same, same way that we do. Not entirely the same, though, because we haven't reached Pentecost yet. We haven't got to the point where Jesus has ascended to the Father, sent the Holy Spirit um, to live and dwell in, in every believer. And so we're still in somewhat of a, of a liminal space. Now, um, that's a phrase that gets used a lot at the moment just because of lockdown and everything that happens. And and um, I think it's really apt. Um, and let me give you the definition of it. So to be in a liminal space means to be on the precipice of something new, but not quite there yet. On the precipice of something new, but not quite there yet. So that's where we, the, we find the disciples meeting with Jesus in that context. And I don't know about you, but I feel like that at the moment. I feel on the precipice of something new, but not quite there yet. So I feel like what Jesus is saying to these guys is going to be really, really significant for us today. And the first point I want to make is from verse 14, where it says, this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. So we're going to look at those three times. And then um, we're going to start going back a little bit um, to when Jesus meets them in the locked room. So we're going back to John 20 and starting at verse 19. Again, it'll be up on the screen. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So if you think about what's going on here, the disciples are in a room and they're locked away. And it's, it's pretty understandable why there would be that. You know, they've been um, following Jesus around for three years and he's just been tried and executed as a revolutionary. You know, then suddenly having, you know, a couple of weeks earlier, been um, part of this triumphant experience of Jesus, you know, coming into the city. And it's really exciting. It's like, oh yeah, how amazing it is to be with him. All of a sudden, they're now the representatives of something that isn't quite so in vogue, as it were. You know, these guys, are they've just seen their leader killed for who he is and what, he, what he's doing. So it's understandable that they'd be feeling a little fearful, a little insecure, a little unsure of how the outside world wants to interact with them. And so 
still faithful, still together, still doing what they're doing, but it's very much separate from the world. Whereas before you look through the gospels, you see what they're doing. They're out, they're amongst the people. They're, they're, they're busy, they're doing stuff, they're there, they're connected. But in this space, we find them totally disconnected, hidden away, locked down. And I, I love this bit, like you must have heard me talk about it before, but when, when Jesus comes into the room, and like the door's locked, he doesn't knock on the door, they don't let him in, he just, he comes into the room. And it, it feels to me like there's, there's two ways that happens. One, like he's actually just some kind of ethereal spirit that just can sort of wisp through the keyhole. Or actually, I, I like kind of where C.S. Lewis, Lewis goes with it, and it's, Jesus is actually more real than the door. He's more real than the chair you're sitting on. He's, he's made of more substance. And there's actually gaps between all the atoms as well, isn't there? Which is mad. But so Jesus is there. He's more real than the world around us. He's more real than the fear and the insecurity and all that stuff. And right there, he comes right into the midst of his body of believers. And he says, peace, peace. Whatever's going on, whatever's happened, whatever's to come, peace be with you. And he's saying that to us today, peace be with us. Think about Jesus on the boat in Luke 8 as he's um, crossing, crossing the lake and the storm's raging. And the disciples are like, master, master, wake up, we're going to die. And he's asleep. And it's not because he, you know, he's not bothered. It's just there's a reality that's greater than the circumstance around the disciples. He says, where's your faith? That's what Jesus is doing. He's like, hey, I'm peace. Doesn't necessarily change what's going on around us, although he can do that. He stills the storm. But he was peaceful beforehand. And I love that because um, I find myself praying for peace a lot in most situations. Like That's one of the first things I go to. And it's easy to then equate that with um, peace equals this thing that is making me feel unpeaceful not being there. But that's not actually true. Like Jesus doesn't deny the reality of situations. He supersedes them. In the same way that he didn't deny the locked door, he just walks through it. Like actually the peace that he carries is, is surpasses understanding, as Paul writes about it. And that's what he's doing today. Like the stuff that we feel fearful about, the stuff that we feel insecure about, the, the, the locked doors that we're hiding behind, Jesus doesn't deny them. He just says, I'm more real than them. And you can trust me right in the midst of them. But there's more than that. Like not only does Jesus walk in and bring his peace, but he actually brings a sense of commissioning and empowering as well. He breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then, he, and then in verse 23, he says, um, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. And sorry, previously in verse 21, he says, as the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. So Jesus comes into the situation. He brings his peace. He breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Go and forgive people their sins. What he's saying then is like, just as God sent me to earth to represent him and, and restore humanity back to him, so I'm sending you. 
We get it in the Great Commission in Matthew, don't we? Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so I'm giving it to you. And he tells us to go and be about the same stuff that he was about, reconciling people to the Father, recognizing that actually the stuff that separated us from God, the sin that got in the way, there is forgiveness to be found in it, and we can be the, the heralds of that good news. And um, I don't know about you, but like, it feels like a lot over the last two years, you can almost like taste the fear in the air. Like, it's, like, it's almost like tangible, just like this sort of like, impending sense of dread <laughs> that kind of around people, whether that's corporately or personally. And, and like, I'm, not, I'm, I'm totally not saying that is unjustified with all the stuff that's gone on. But whether that's, you know, personally, the pandemic and, and the threat to life that has come with that, whether that's all the talk in the news about how we're going to afford things and inflation and all this kind of stuff, whether that's war, whether that's supply chains breaking down, whether that's the increasing hostility of the world around us towards Christianity. You know, that sense of, oh yeah, Christians used to be the good people, but actually maybe now we're the immoral ones. We're the ones that are intolerant and horrible. Like all that sense of stuff creates this like ebbing mass of fear around us that it's easy to actually be drawing from. But the reality is, even if we feel more and more like we might be in a locked room behind a locked door, Jesus is bringing peace. But it's a peace that isn't just about making us feel comfortable and be like, oh, that's great. It's a peace that empowers us to go. Like all the stuff that was coming out of worship, like um, I think it was Karen was sharing about, like creation's groaning for the sons and daughters to be revealed. Like now, more than ever, is the time for us to step forward. Hebrews 10.39 says, we are not of those who shrink back and destroy, and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and will possess life. Okay, the world needs us to receive everything that Jesus has for us and be sent in the way that he was sent. There's, um, I love the Narnia books. And in Prince Caspian, there's this really poignant scene where um, the kind of all the Narnian creatures have been sort of in hiding for, for centuries, I think it is. And then they, they start to come back to life and they have a little party in Lantern Wood and they're having a great time and they have a little chat about it. And um, they're just like, oh, this is great. We can just do this. You know, we're, doing, we're singing all our songs. We're doing all our old dances. We're having a great time. Um, and then I think it's Glenn Storm. I didn't look this back up, but he's the centaur. who's like, no. Like, you're satisfied with old Narnia in hiding, is how he describes it. And I wonder if, you know, for us, it's been such a privilege just to get back in this room. Like the fact that we can physically be together, it's like, that's amazing. Like that didn't happen a little while ago. And it's really easy for, easy for us to settle on that and just be like, oh yeah, do you know what? I could do church in hiding again. That'll be great. That'll get me through the week. That'll be really nice. I really missed that. But I think there's so much more. And Jesus wants to bring his peace and he wants to commission us to go. And I think it's, it's important because we can insulate ourselves from fear. We can, um, we can build a life around ourselves that makes us avoid it as much as possible. 
But I don't think that's much of a life. Like actually, um, the amazing thing about this is that fear doesn't get to have the final word. Jesus does. And so if you are feeling afraid, I just want you to know that Jesus has peace for you. He wants to walk through our locked doors, whether they're physical or metaphorical. Bring his peace. Breathe on us afresh. Fill us with his resurrection life. And so from this first story, we see that Jesus brings peace to fear. And in an era where fear is currency, he's still doing the same thing. And that's good news. He's bringing peace. Okay, second story. Jesus and Thomas. So it's just the next verse down. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, who's nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So here we've got Jesus' second interaction with the disciples in John. Um, and it ends with a blessing. It's a blessing that's available to any one of us. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Now, I don't know, has anyone, just genuine, I'm genuinely interested, has anyone physically seen Jesus in this room? Jesus, Ian has, great. Should, I want to hear about that later. Um, but on the whole, the vast majority of us haven't had that experience of the of physical sight of Jesus. And so the, the great news is the Bible says we're blessed, which is incredible. We are blessed because we, um, we believe the account of Scripture. We believe the witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our community and what God's doing around us. And that's incredible. And... Um, that Hebrews verse I quoted before, um, 10.39, actually the very next verse is the start of Hebrews 11, which I'm sure you all know, which is, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Like there's something absolutely fundamental about faith that requires belief without sight. And, you know, right now there's a lot that we can't see. I don't know what's going on with 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 you in your life, but I'm sure there's plenty of things, whether it's health or relationships or finances or work or whatever, where you can't physically see what's next. Likewise, as a church, like we're in a massive transition. And then I loved what we were singing and I felt like it was really significant when that sense of we're dancing on the moment of, I can't remember the word, but the hope that's to come. And it's just like the faith in this room is so tangible and I'm so excited about what God's doing. But the reality is we don't know. We never do. If we ever thought we did, we were lying to ourselves. So we're, like, there's a lot of things that we're hoping for and waiting for and longing for and trusting for and working towards that we can't see the end of yet. And it's probably for the best because actually what God's got in, in store is probably better than what we would have imagined anyway. 
And yet as Christians, that, that's part of our watch, that longing, that waiting, that hoping, that looking to the future. And uh, the blessing that Jesus talks about, I just, I just need us to remember that it's not in the resolution of those things we're waiting for. It's not, okay, right, I'm hoping for a new job. Once I've got the new job, that's the blessing that Jesus promised me. The blessing is trusting Jesus along the way, of living in that faith that says, I have confidence in you, even though I can't see the end. And it's not just blessed are those who say yes to Jesus in the sense of, okay, I agree that he was the son of God, and he did all these things, and I would call myself a Christian. Like there's a certain set of beliefs that I have in my head. Faith is, is, more, is more about trust, about allegiance, about leaning on. Like regardless of the circumstance, I have faith in Jesus because I'm, I'm leaning into him. And so I just want to um, encourage us that like where we can't see yet, that even if that we would trust Jesus, even if that trust feels the most feeblest, weakest sense of, you can have a little bit of me. But even whatever that is, I just pray that we know that there's a blessing there and that like a muscle, that thing would grow and as we use it and as we lean into it, it would increase. I've got so much more to talk about in nine minutes. Um, okay, but, right, I'm just going to have to go rogue here, I think. Um, I also I think it's really important in this passage we look at Thomas. And um, it's funny, you know, like, it's almost like a bit to be like, oh, he wasn't actually called Doubting Thomas, do you know? It was Didymus, means the twin. Um, but it's interesting how, you know, like Thomas, the materialist, the guy with the questions, I think it's, re it's really important we look at him. And, you know, it's um, even in calling him Doubting Thomas, there's this idea that what he was doing was somehow wrong that he wasn't there when the disciples were and he had some questions. And because Jesus talks about there being a blessing when we don't see, and that is absolutely true and absolutely incredible for all the reasons I've just said, that somehow we think, well, what Tim Thomas did was because he was in some way immature and weak. And the problem with that is we can create this culture where we say, well, if you have a question, that's actually a concession. You shouldn't really have had a question. You should have believed without it. And we can create this culture where it's just like, well, um, okay, I have, and I would really like to see the wounds and touch, and like I have a legitimate question. But if, if there's this culture where it's like, well, I can't and pretend it's not there, or we go somewhere else and, and answer the question elsewhere. Whereas actually what we see Jesus do is amazing. He doesn't tell him off. He's, he appears again and gives Thomas the exact same experience that everyone else had. And he says, come and put my hand, your hand in my side. Come and see. There's questions that you've got. The answers are in me. And he's, he has so much grace and kindness. And there's so much for us to question. In the world, in life, in faith. And, like, and please don't feel like you have to take your questions elsewhere. Bring them to Jesus because there there's grace and peace there. Like, Don't see Thomas and see a villain. See Jesus and the grace and the dignity that he brings to our questions. Um, so, like, I don't know where you're at. I'm sure we've all got questions. But um, the image I had when, we were, when I was thinking about this was in Revelation 3. Jesus is like, I stand at the door and knock. 
to anyone who opens up, come in and eat with him. Wherever you're at, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, Jesus will meet you where you're at, but it's true. Whatever questions you've got, whatever place you're in, invite Jesus in to, to be with you. Um, okay, third story. We already read it, so I'm not going to read it again. It's um, when they're out fishing. And there, there's in uh, verse 3, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And there's a lot of conjecture around why he said this. Was he being grumpy? Had he just got sick of it all and was like, sack it off, I'm just going to go back to what I know? Was he just hungry? You know, Jesus had told him to wait in Galilee. And so he's like, well, I know how to fish, so I'm going to fish. But the significant thing is it parallels with his call. So if you think back to Luke 5, when Jesus first calls Simon Peter and the other disciples, there's, they're out fishing, they can't catch anything. Jesus says, put your nets on the other side. There's a supernatural catch. Then he says, I'm, I'm going to make you, you've been fishing fish, now I'm going to make you fishers of men. And he takes the disciples who leave everything and follow him into this journey of, of kingdom adventure with Jesus. So it's interesting that at this point, kind of after whatever's going on, and I, I think it's a mixture of practicality and normality in Peter and also maybe a bit of disillusionment and disorientation. He's like, I don't know what's next, so I'm just going to go back to what's familiar. And it's, again, it's Jesus' kindness. He's just like, oh, I'm just going to meet you right there. I'm going to meet you right where I've met you before, and I'm going to remind you who you are. I'm going to remind you what I've called you to. And he does the same thing. There's a supernatural catch, and Peter gets in for a swim, which John doesn't believe happens. He's like, why are you doing this? We're just 100 yards away. We could sail back. And, um, and then they have breakfast together. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Live this life for me. I can't remember it all up by heart, sorry. And uh, he restores Peter into his destiny. And, that's, and then as far as we know, from that moment until Peter gets crucified upside down for his faith, he is, he is an apostle for Jesus Christ. And um, the thing that I pulled out of this was Peter had gone back to normal. And normal is a word I'm sick of hearing. I don't know if anyone else is. But um, we've been desperate to get back to normal for two years. And um, it's totally understandable. Like, we've, we realized just, like, how much of life is so fragile and can disappear in lots of ways. And there's just been such a hunger for normal. Like, I want to get out and see my friends and all those things. And, and um, I don't really want to give a commentary on that per se, other than whether, whether kind of the new normal that we find ourselves in is a mixture of practicality, just doing what I need to get done, or a sense of I'm a bit disillusioned and disorientated and don't really know what's going on, so I'm just, I'm just here. Like, I think Jesus wants to meet us in that. And I think he wants to do what he did for Peter, which is remind us of who we were always made to be. And remind us of the call that he's put on our lives. And that, that's going to look like different things for all of us, which is super exciting. But I think part of what we need to learn is that actually when all that stuff got taken away, the answer isn't just how quickly can I get back to that and feel safe again? Actually, that maybe I'd put too much security in it anyway. And actually maybe like the Jesus who brings peace, that's the anchor. 
That's the security. That's the platform. That's the foundation. That's all the stuff we've been looking at through the Sermon on the Mount is him, is a person. And the stuff around it is important and significant and is so valuable. And it's been painful when it's not been there. But as, as let's kind of, as we experience maybe something of what Peter has of kind of, of getting back in a boat because it's familiar, let's also meet with Jesus on the shore, have breakfast with him. And hear him ask, do you love me? Because I've got plans for you. I've got plans for us together. Um, so let's pray. Why don't you stand up? I think... Hopefully, well, I don't know, hopefully. I imagine all of us have found ourselves in those stories. Um, maybe in some of them, maybe in all of them. And I think they're all, they're all connected. And it's significant, kind of what I was saying at the start, because like Jesus doesn't, like all the stuff that we find hard, he doesn't just take it away. But he's bigger than it. He's more real than it. He meets us in it and he breathes life into it. His resurrection life. He takes what might feel dry and barren and dead and he turns it into a flowing spring. And when we celebrate the resurrection, we celebrate that salvation has come, that, that God's making all things new, and not just in a cosmic sense, not just in the one day everything will be all right in the world, but right here and right now to terrify believers who are huddling behind locked doors to doubtful followers who just aren't sure, to disillusioned leaders who've lost their way. Jesus is alive and he's bringing us back to life with him. So Jesus, I pray that you would move amongst us. You would walk into this room, into the rooms of our hearts and say, peace, peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Be commissioned into the life I have for you. Jesus, you, you know where we're at. We don't need to pretend with you or with each other. We can be completely real. And so God, would you, just whatever we need, whether we need peace, whether we need courage, whether we need grace, dignity, whether we need to be heard, whether we need a reminder of who we are and where we're going. Thank you that all of that is found in you. Thank you that you are the true hope. You are the true anchor. You are the true foundation. And Lord, we say that we want to build on you. Thank you for the wonderful things around us, but we want to build in you. We want to trust in you because you are the only thing that is unchanging and eternal. It is five o'clock, so if you need to go and get your kids, um, feel free to do that. But if, you're, if you do have some time, I would love to minister to one another.